how to persevere first and foremost, which has served me well in, in many places and capacities in my life. Hang in there. You can get through this. It does get better. They make you smile. The world's first socks with hair, and they come with their own comb. Give him the do he deserves. You never feel fat in socks. Cosmic Preppy. Cosmic Preppy. This is LA is Good For You, a podcast about founders and funders who are building LA's most interesting companies. We are your hosts, Kevin and Suze. On this week's episode, we'll introduce you to Erica Easley, founder of Gumball Poodle, a company specializing in crazy socks. You may have heard of the famous Obama socks from 2008. That was Erica. Today, she has taken her idea global with thousands of crazy socks, including a Trump sock, complete with orange hair and a tiny comb. So let's talk about perseverance, because that's the word that stuck with me for a very long time after we interviewed Erica. Um, how Erica stuck with what she believed in, and you know how she got through a tough time at school, and how he had to put up with some really mean kids. And Kevin, you actually asked her about this, and being not normal uh, while at school. This is a troubling time for teenagers, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's hard to be an individual in high school. And I can definitely relate. I was uh, I I did horse show jumping in high school, which is of course what everybody else does. No, just me. And so I would usually walk around in boots and britches and a, you know a cap, and I would talk about things like horse shows, and people would look at me appropriately, like I was you know unusual. Um, so gosh, that was hard. Uh, but it does teach you about you know being gritty, and and persevering, which is a, a great attribute to have as a founder. So when Erica came in, she was wearing a really fantastic outfit. And when you asked her about what she was, uh, what she called that style, she said, cosmic preppy. What's your style, Suze? Well, as Erica, I've been really influenced by L.A. and especially West Side here and where we live um, so close to the beach. So perhaps surfer chic? I own 20 purse of flip flops. There's the surfer. Where's the chic part? It's all in the colors and design. And on that note, let's pick up the story. Here's Erica talking about her childhood. I grew up in L.A. in the 80s, so we had the Go-Go's, we had Guns N' Roses, everybody wanted to be here, um, outdoors all the time. I didn't have a winter jacket until I was about 13. Uh, so I loved it. I loved being here. I loved uh, all the opportunities the city's had for, uh, you know, playing outside and horseback riding and hiking. It's what more could you want? Did you have any thoughts of who you wanted to become when you grow up? Um, I really wanted to be the host of Headbangers Ball. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was like my dream job as a 12-year-old, getting to like watch music videos because I was not allowed to watch music videos. And I loved all those hair bands with their crazy colorful outfits and outrageous behavior. And I thought that is that is the life. Obviously, it didn't come to pass, unfortunately, but I like where I ended up just the same. So did you have the same kind of sense of style or as like Headbangers Ball? I mean, that was kind of outrageous mm -hmm. and lots of hair and all kinds of stuff going on back then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that's really cool about the, the 80s was that there were definitely different genres of music, new wave, uh, hip hop, metal, all these things going on. But a lot of the style kind of meshed into each other. So my earliest style influences weren't heavy metal. They were very definitely Boy George and Cyndi Lauper. I have such clear memories of seeing them. But I, I think that there's still a lot of similarities between 
the looks of uh, Cindy and Boy George and Motley Crue and Poison and all that stuff. Absolutely. Did you have any time for school? Well, I'm a nerd, so yeah, I did, and my and my parents were pretty strict about that. But I, you know, getting to to read books and ride horses—that was basically all I wanted to do. So, what did you enjoy doing at school? Uh, what subjects? Uh, I was an English major in college. I've always been a, a bookworm, so anything that involved reading was up my alley. I was a total history, English, um, arts buff. Uh, now that I'm older and, and see where the world is going, I really wish I had been more engaged in science because I think science is pretty cool now. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I wish I had been more engaged with math. Uh, I wish I was a lot faster with numbers than I am. What did your parents do? Uh, well, my mom uh, had been in sales, but mostly was a stay-at-home mom uh, raising me and my sister. And my father was in banking for a number of years. And then he did own his own business. Um uh, but it was in the very sexy sector of security. Uh, so I, no offense, Dad, I didn't even think of him like an entrepreneur. <laughs> but he was. He, he, he owned his own business for many years and, and then sold it. So did you ever think that you'd be an entrepreneur? Absolutely not. Never, ever crossed my mind. So I wanted to pick up on uh, when we talked a while ago. Yeah. Um, you were talking about your life in school, and mm -hmm. it sounds like you didn't always fit in. Oh, no. <laughs> um, are, are you okay talking about that? Absolutely. Of so, course. So what was that experience like? What was what was going on? Yeah. So um, I've always been very independent, for better or for worse. I have not had a problem being myself. Um, if anything, I have a hard time reining my personality in. Uh, and when you are a kid, that's not always the best way to be. Um, so a lot of my taste was not what was cool. Uh, a lot of um, what I wanted to do wasn't that cool. I, I, you know, I was a nerd. Um, I really did like school a lot. And I also haven't grown since I was 12 years old. So I oh, was wow. about 5'8 and under 100 pounds until I was 15 years old with very short hair. So I looked weird. <laughs> I liked weird things. And, uh, and uh, I was very enthusiastic about those weird things that I liked. And that combo kind of... You know, drew what a lot of attention. Were they like a, a was it a, a boy George kind of a thing or? Um, no, I wouldn't. I mean, yes, definitely. Like my my musical taste was a little different. I wasn't uh, as into I don't know Tiffany as <laughs> some of the other <laughs> other kids. Um, but I think it was you know I. I just wanted to like read dorky books like Jane Eyre. You know, when I was in fourth grade and. Um, play with model horses and do, you know, like, and wear boys' clothes, because I was very tomboyish at the same time. Um, and then uh, as you get into junior high school, I still looked really weird. I've always been flat-chested. That singles you out for a lot of negative attention <laughs> when you're kind of at that age when everybody's becoming aware of themselves. So uh, it was just this, like, total clash of awkwardness, I guess. And... Um, Unfortunately, I went to school with some kids that were especially uh, mean, yeah. you know, and I, I'm sure many of them have become cool people and probably a few of them have not. doesn't matter. For me, it was uh, it was a very difficult time, but I learned so much from it. I, I don't know even now if I'd change things. What did you learn? How to persevere, first and foremost, which has served me well in, in many places and capacities in my life. Um, 
also, uh, I think it was good to learn to calm myself down a little bit and not to to not be yourself to fit in, but try to work with the people that are around you and, and learn how to when it's right to insert your personality and when it's better to hold back a little bit. Um, but I think it, it most of all was about hang in there. You can get through this. It does get better. So that Dan Savage, It Gets Better campaign, I, I know it wasn't directed at kids like me specifically, um, and I, it certainly happened after I was younger, but I think it's important for anybody who has felt picked on or like an outsider. Couldn't agree more. So did you feel relieved after leaving high school? Oh, my gosh. I moved to New York for college. It was like night and day. I loved it. Finally, my people. Yes, it was worth all of that, like, pain and suffering. I went to a total nerd school, so I was hanging out with – but they were all cool nerds, you know? Um, And it was great. Yeah, I definitely – it changed so fast. So did you did you feel at home when you after after school you ended up at like Jay Walter mm-hmm. and uh, you know what was your life like there did it also feel like a fit Yeah so I I um worked at Jay Walter Thompson a big ad agency uh, after college I loved my coworkers uh still friends with many of them to this day you know decades later uh such a creative environment cool people no, I did not like it. <laughs> they know that. I um, Going back to that thing where I have a very enthusiastic personality, I had a hard time being enthusiastic about product I didn't care about. Uh, and, and so advertising and I kind of didn't mesh. <laughs> so what happened next when, when you left? Yeah. So I actually met my boyfriend. Um, we're still together many, many years later. And he was an entrepreneur. He owns a very large, um, pretty well-known vintage clothing store up in Portland, Oregon, called Red Light Clothing Exchange. So I had my very unique sense of style, was already very into vintage clothing. And Ed said, why don't you start working as a picker, as a buyer uh, of vintage clothes? So I did that. And that is fun. Loved it. <laughs> what What did you what did you get to do as a picker? Were you traveling around? Yeah. Places? Yeah. Like- traveling around, meeting all kinds of people. Um, sometimes, you know, you're, you're invited to come over to somebody's house. They've got an estate that they want to, you know, unload all the clothing. Um, we also did a lot of buying over the counter in the store where the public's coming in and buy, sell, trade, bringing you their stuff. So you are dealing with all different kinds of people. Every day is different. It's a treasure hunt. Um I mean, I just, I loved that aspect of it. How did you know what to pick? It's instinctual. Honestly, a lot of it's instinctual. Um, I always would say, do you want to go on a date with this? Uh, so it's, you know, like a pair of jeans. Would you, If this, this pair of jeans came up and asked for your number, would you give this pair of jeans your number? And if the answer was yes, then yeah, okay. Might not be my type, but they're kind of cute. Okay, we'll go out. Uh, but ew, no, no, gross. No, you're not getting my number. I'm not buying those jeans. <laughs> so what were some of those treasures? Do you remember like, you know, any particular pieces that you that you bought? I don't know if you're familiar with an old leather label actually from the Bay Area called East West Musical Instruments. They made really incredible rock and roll clothing in the early 70s. So I actually found a reversible east-west jacket. So it's silver on one side and hunter green on the reverse side uh, at a store in Seattle for $50. 
and it was labeled as a 1980s jacket. And it was like, no, <laughs> you know, like I couldn't run to the register fast enough with that. And the, I remember the shop clerk pointing out some of the defects on, you know, because it had a few little scratches. Like, you sure you want to buy this? Because I was like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are going on a date later. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, should put out there that I also wrote with Ed, my boyfriend, um, the world's first book on the history of vintage rock t-shirts. So I was a huge collector of vintage rock t-shirts. Before I met Ed, he had an even bigger collection because of his career in uh, used clothing. So we combined our skill sets, me being the the English major, the you know little writer, Ivy League nerd, and him with this massive, massive collection of thousands of shirts, and ended up uh, publishing Rock Tees, uh, it's T-E-A-S-E, back in 2006 with Abrams Image. So... Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, that was one where perseverance, you know, we had so many publishers that said, yeah, no. And then finally, you know, like it took years to get that that deal uh, into place and, and whatnot. So there are many T-shirts from that era that are treasures for me. So you and your boyfriend mm-hmm. worked together for, you say, decades now. Yeah. How, how do you make it work? We have very different skill sets um, and definitely have butted heads on things uh, from time to time. But I think fundamentally, we respect each other's abilities and opinions. So that helps a lot. And uh, also focus largely on different aspects of the business. I'm not as involved with Red Light uh, now as I once was, but, um, you know, he is the big picture guy. He's incredible futurist that way, um, really is able to call trends and, and things that are going to ch- happen in the world years in advance. And I am a total detail monger and like really good at organizing stuff, which he hates. So <laughs> it's a good balance. So where did the where did the idea for Gumball Poodle come from? It's a, it was originally a sock, right? It was a one sock uh, thing. I, d- I didn't start gumball poodle planning to be an entrepreneur planning to have a sock um business it had just gotten to the point so i was working for red light full-time picking buying doing all sorts of stuff there and running gumball poodle hanging you know handling all the orders trying to grow sales develop product couldn't do it all and we were just getting inundated with requests for wholesale accounts people really really wanted the product in the stores and i i guess i just realized um this isn't a little side project, Erica. You really have an opportunity here. This is unique. And I wish I had been more cognizant of that um, earlier. I, I think I enjoyed what I was doing with Red Light. And so I didn't give Gumball Poodle the attention it probably deserved early on because it was a success from the beginning. But by 2012, it had just become, if you are doing this, you need to really do this and and be all in on it. What does all in look like for you? Just working instead of working 80 hours a week, but having it only be 40 of those hours on Gumball Poodle, it's 80 hours a week all on Gumball Poodle, whether it's the spreadsheet stuff, because that's still really important. It's not my favorite part to do inventory and predictive analysis of finances and all that mumbo jumbo, but it needs to be done. And if you aren't doing it, you're going to run into some very serious problems Um, doing that, doing the product development 
you know, working with the sales reps, working with these customers, it's not as simple as just like, here's my staff, go sell it. You need to build those relationships. You need to get feedback from from the people that are your partners and all different levels of the business. What are we doing right? What are we not doing right? Um, you know, uh, certainly with social media and marketing opportunities that provides these days, there's a whole other huge level of stuff we can be working on and trying to figure out and get better at. So there's always more. <laughs> Back in 2008, during that election, when everybody uh, here in, in the U.S. and certainly in California was really excited and, and about what was going on, I really wanted Obama knee socks. I always wore sh- shorts and knee socks at that time. So I really wanted Obama knee socks. I thought for sure somebody's got to be making them. You could get T-shirts, toilet paper, bobbleheads, whatever. Nobody was making socks. So, uh, of course, I had Red Light as an outlet. I asked, Ed, what do you think? He's like, oh, yeah, those would be great. Okay, we'll sell some for you. I was working, um, doing some kind of on-air, on-screen hosting for a startup called ShopFlick. That was a shopping, online shopping platform at the time. They were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll sell those for you. So I kind of thought, well, I can, I want them. I'll make them for me. I've got some outlets to sell them. So we made a couple thousand pair, which was the fewest we could do. And it blew up, like immediately. And this is pre-social media. So it was basically me walking down the street in Obama knee socks. And I would get stopped by 5, 10 people, people asking to take my photo. We ended up getting national press, sold out of several manufacturing runs um, in a matter of months. I was at the DNC in Denver. Um, then it was just a really fun experience. And so I ended up with a little more money than I had started with after all of that and had a great time and thought, well, I have a few more ideas. Why don't I just keep going? So how did you decide? I mean, you had a huge hit with the Obama sock. Yeah. Was there additional pressure then on the next idea or did you just... I I wasn't thinking about it that way. Uh, In retrospect, I should have been thinking about it that way. I should have been like, oh, my gosh, the press that you just are getting is unprecedented. Most businesses pay tens of thousands of dollars and don't come anywhere close to this. And you're getting it not doing anything. Uh, But I wasn't thinking that way. Um, So there was no pressure. And it was more, I'm having fun. I want to keep doing this. And and I think I have more to say. I, I felt like um, there was a lot that wasn't happening with socks and uh, design-wise, and that I could have a unique voice in that marketplace. And why not try? More recently, you had a hit uh, with <laughs> the Trump sock. I know. I'm like the sock whisperer. <laughs> I, would you just describe that sock for Yeah. Listeners? Yeah. And just so everybody knows, we did play both sides of the aisle with that. There was a Bernie companion sock to the Trump sock. Um, but Bernie didn't get the nomination and and Trump is here. Uh, so we still have Trump. These socks, uh, we actually have a patent on, on these socks. They have hair on them. So uh, they're the first, the world's first socks with hair, and they come with their own comb. Uh, so it's Donald's face on the side of your leg with uh, his beautiful golden locks that you can, you know, comb and braid. You can give him a man bun. You can do whatever the heck you want. I give, love it. Give him the do he deserves. <laughs> you know, and Bernie was great. Bernie had his little tufts on the side of his head. He was so cute too. But how popular are those socks? Off the charts. They're incredible. To this day, I thought for sure, you know, when the election happened in the like October of 2016, 
we'd been selling a grotesque amount of socks and it just dropped because everybody was, Who, what's going to happen? We don't want to get stuck with socks. And I thought, well, I've got like 20,000 socks in inventory. I guess I'm just going to have to eat that. No. It's, I mean, we had one month that was slow. And as soon as the election was over, it's not stopped. And we ship these socks to stores all over the world, not just customers and retailers, you know, and buyers, but stores in the Netherlands, England, J- Japan. They are everywhere because they're they're funny, you know. Whether you love them or you hate them, everybody thinks this hair is stupid, and uh, they they make you smile, you know. And and that's what has always been uh, something that was important to me with the products we make. They should make you happy, you know. I love that. <laughs> Why do you think crazy socks are mm. such a great hit? Well, um, one, you are n- you never feel fat in socks. You know, it's like sometimes you're like, I love this dress, but uh, not today. It's not fitting quite right. Socks always fit right. So there's that that great aspect of it. Um, two, I think a lot of workplaces have dress codes or expectations um, that wouldn't allow you to dress like I like to dress all the time. But People still have personalities. They want to express themselves. You know, they want to say, I am a human being, an individual. Socks are a nice uh, way to do that in a more traditional workplace or more um, restricted environment. Doctors, uh, people that work in hospitals, for instance, don't have a lot of choice about what they wear, but they can wear fun socks. So I think that's a big part of it. Just it's that little bit of self-expression that you can get out there in the world. Keeps it on the down, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And nobody has to know unless you want them to know. <laughs> I just want to know where the name <laughs> come from because I am absolutely fascinated by it. Thank it's you. Really Thank you. Well, it's definitely different. And, and people always ask me, what is a gumball poodle? Like, what, what is going on there? Uh, the reality is I was trying to come up with a name for my business and uh, had really good, I think, legal advice early on, which was don't put socks in your name because you think you're doing socks now, but you don't know 10, 15, 20 years from now if that's what you'll be doing. And if you call yourself Sockety Sock Socks, it's not going to make a lot of sense when you're selling barrettes and dog toys, right? <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I was trying to come up with a name that didn't sound like anything that was already trademarked in the fashion um, and accessories world. And everything I came up with, sound, it, was, it was too similar, too similar. So I, I just decided to do a stream of consciousness list. Stop trying to be really smart. Just like write down what came to mind. And uh, in the middle of doing that, I looked up and there was a vintage toy poodle collection next to an old gumball machine. It was a gumball poodle. Uh, And it just, um, in that whole list, that was the one that sounded colorful and fun and kind of retro Americana. And those were all qualities that I feel our brand has, that I wanted it to have. Yeah, and certainly extremely unique. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. It sticks like gum. (laughs) So how did you you think about the your ideation process or mm-hmm. or did you just say okay I have five ideas here's my point of view mm-hmm. I'm gonna try five <laughs> so I um I did have a, ve- a very clear sense of what the aesthetic was uh going to be um it it started out inspired by you know retro tube socks like those fun colorful socks from the 70s uh and they all just had one word in giant letters down the leg so using your leg like a t-shirt so that was that rock t-shirt collector experience coming into play. Um, so I knew how these things were going to look. And then I honestly, because I'm not 
great with computer programs, use color pencils and would draw <laughs> out all my ideas and show them to friends and be like, which ones do you like? And I think I had, you know, maybe eight or 10 that I, ideas that I was playing around with that I thought were good. Um, through that process, narrowed it down to six. This is a ridiculously small collection. Nobody starts a brand with six styles. It's really silly when I look back on it, but that was oh my gosh, that's a big investment. I'm ending up with a, thousands and thousands of pairs of socks in my second bedroom because that's that was the warehouse for a long time. I worked out of home. And you were self-funding it, right? Yeah, so. totally self-funded. So that's where we started. That's wonderful. Yeah. Do you think you're going to do something else other than socks well, at we, some point? We actually have just started doing some new stuff um, this year. I call them magic buttons. Sorry, I have to over-enunciate the word buttons because apparently I have a Southern California accent where T's come out as D's, so I want to say buttons. <laughs> so it's magic buttons. Um, so they they changed when you move them. I can show you one. I brought some. Yeah. yeah. So you understand what I'm talking about. It's definitely a visual thing. And we did... Um, Postcards as well. We have a really awesome license right now with, right? Funny. <laughs> with Divine, you know, the yes. Divine. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we licensed Divine for socks and they, they've just done phenomenally well. And I had this idea to do a postcard in the same vein as these magic buttons with Divine. And they were like, oh, yes, do it. So now you can get um, a postcard where it's Divine going in and out of drag. It's Harris Glenn Milstead to Divine. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, they're awesome. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so do you what does your process look like for these two? Are you still mm -hmm. doing like pencils and paper and just showing them to people and saying this is gonna be awesome? People are gonna love it. Uh, <laughs> well, like if we go back to the very beginning with the magic buttons, it's trying buttons. to figure out but thank <laughs> you, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. No. It's, <laughs> I, it's so bad that I can't even properly talk about my own product. But yes. <laughs> It was more, where's an opportunity in the marketplace? What's something nobody's doing? And this was something nobody was doing, but pins were really hot, and I felt like it matched our brand. Um, I We have become successful enough to hire illustrators, thankfully. <laughs> so I still will often be the person with the concept. Here's, you know the divine idea going back and forth um, in and out of drag, but then hand that off to an artist, somebody who can really capture um, that in the right way and they do all the art for it and, and they tweak ideas too and I appreciate that. Our whole team does. Everybody at Gumball Poodle weighs in on designs and, and what we're doing next. So do you continuously think about new products that you might be bringing out to the market or is it just like, you know, started with socks, now I'm doing buttons and yeah. then... <laughs> And we're going to wait a yeah. few years and, you know, we're going to see what next. Yeah. No, I'm always thinking about new stuff. Um, I, I would like it if that was the only thing I had to do for my business. That's that's my goal, to get to the point where my only responsibility there is, is product development. Um, because I think if you sit on something that's successful and you don't keep innovating, you're not going to have that next thing uh, that you need to sustain your business when sales of that currently awesome products start, you know, dropping or somebody copies you, knocks you off, you need to be pushing the envelope always. So all your socks mm -hmm. are made in the USA. Do you find it hard to manufacture here or quite the opposite? Uh, no, very difficult. <laughs> very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, 
for consumers, I think made in the USA is something the media likes to talk about. It's such a great thing. Everybody says they want it. It's still tremendously difficult to get product done at a price point where customers will buy it. You know, it's not too expensive. In the United States, we've just lost a tremendous amount of manufacturing capacity um, and also the desire to be innovative in manufacturing. So, no, that's one of the greatest struggles in, in my job. And and I have a number of friends now that make all sorts of different things um, that people have seen everywhere. And I think there's only one that also manufactures in the U.S. And, and that's not necessarily by choice. Quite frankly, some of them, it is flat out impossible. Nobody can make the thing here. So how big is um, Gumbel Poodle now? So we have, we've moved out of my second bedroom. I'm very proud to say, thank you. (laughs) We have offices in uh, downtown LA these days. I have a staff of five. We have a warehouse. All of our shipping and stuff happens in St. Louis, um, Missouri, and we have customers all over the world. So yeah, it's, it's, I had no idea. Every step has been like, just that's what we have to do next. There hasn't been a bigger, I'm going to get a third party warehouse within two years, you know. (laughs) So where can we get your socks today? Uh, Well, you can certainly buy everything we do off gumballpoodle.com. But I hope you'll also try visiting uh, some of our brick and mortar retailers. Uh, Again, stores throughout the the world, sock stores, grocery stores, record stores, boutiques, all carry our line. But if you go to our website, you can type in your zip code and a whole list of retailers near you pops up. Do you go to retailers or do they come to you? Well, so I just got back from a trade show in Las Vegas. Uh, So we we are at trade shows... um, eight or 10 trade shows at least every year to meet retailers. So that's how we do most of our sales. We also have sales reps uh, around the country who represent our line and are going into stores. Um, You know, we're doing everything. And then sometimes there's a store, if I'm traveling or whatnot, I'm like, this store is great. I really think that we'd be a good fit. I'll just go in and pitch them myself. Well, our goal is to inspire, you know, dreamers to become founders is there a piece of advice that you could offer i honestly think the best advice is the nike tagline just do it um not to you know be a a rah-rah girl for nike but that that is what it is all about the people i know who are most successful are the ones who didn't spend all their time thinking about how much money will i need and do i have i'm gonna have to hire all you know a consultant and a pr team and all that stuff that's That's so not what you should be thinking about. You need to get your product or your service or whatever it is, just start making it, start doing it, get it out there, get feedback, and hustle, hustle, hustle. And then maybe you get to a point where you need to bring in all those other um, wonderful, fun things and people. But uh, don't spend all your time refining a business plan. Do Do your homework, but then just get out there. Work. Erica, thank you. Thank you so much for this. Uh, Kevin, we got to go and just do it now. <laughs> Whatever is that we're thinking of doing. Yeah. Actually, can I ask you yeah, one question? Yeah, of course. Um, will you, to the extent that you can put it in a mm-hmm. in a box or yeah. in a concise statement, mm-hmm. will you describe your your style or what you're wearing here today? So. Oh, ooh, okay. Um, I think I've been trying to move, and it's, 
Granted, it's pretty hot in uh, downtown Los Angeles, so this is not exactly what I would choose to be wearing. I had to taper my my taste a little bit to deal with the temperatures. But I think that I've been um, really channeling cosmic preppy, uh, which is psychedelic prep. Uh, in my in my mind, psychedelic prep with a lot of uh, bling. So, th- did I get it? What do you think? I love that. <laughs> we I love that love style. That. <laughs> and pink, my favorite color. It's the best. Pink and orange yeah. all day long. They make you happy. They look good everywhere. <laughs> That's our show for this week. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, add a review to let us know what you think. You can also find us at laisgoodforyou.com. Ellie is Good For You will return in October for the second part of Season 1.